We continue our study through the Gospel of John, John 14, beginning in verse 15. Jesus says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while in the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and he will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I've spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I live with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. In the middle of his farewell discourse, Jesus says this provocative statement. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now this is provocative because it provokes the very sensibilities that we have about the Christian life. What does it mean to be a Christian? Is it primarily to be one who loves? Or is the Christian life really about obedience? Can you really have one without the other? Can you love without obedience? Can you obey without love? Love without obedience is love without commitment, love without substance, love without vows. It is like spiritual infatuation. It's a Christianity that is high on experience, high on emotion, but it doesn't have the necessary root system to withstand the winds of persecution or the weeds of prosperity. It's the kind of Christianity that Dietrich Bonhoeffer called cheap grace. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. But this morning, I must also tell you that obedience without love is just as dangerous. It is cold and callous. It is built on self-service, self-seeking. It is self-reliant. 
It is built on pride and performance. Obedience without love is all about control, not the cross. It is self-righteous legalism. Jesus said, if you love me, then you'll keep my commandments. So how, how do we do it? How do we love so deeply, so profoundly, that we could not help but obey the commands of Jesus Christ? How could we love so passionately to love our Savior so much that as if we were keeping wedding vows, we would passionately pursue him? The answer this morning is, in and of yourself, you can't. It takes a powerful work of the Holy Spirit. In our passage this morning, Jesus gives four conditions, four qualifiers about our love for him. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Anyone loves me, he will keep my word. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced. But what I want you to understand this morning is that each time Jesus gives a qualifier about our love for him, he gives us a promise, a promise of the powerful work of the Holy Spirit, the helper, the one who has come to help us love Jesus so deeply, so passionately, that we are actually being transformed from the inside out. How does he do this? The Holy Spirit helps us love Jesus deeply in these four ways. First, the Holy Spirit is our advocate. Second, the Holy Spirit is our power. Third, the Holy Spirit is our teacher. And fourth, the Holy Spirit is our peace. In these four ways that we will look at this morning, we will see that the Holy Spirit is our helper. He enables us to a deep love of Jesus Christ as we are being completely transformed from the inside out. And so first, the Holy Spirit is our advocate. Jesus says in verse 15, if you want to look with me, if you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Again, we see Jesus giving this qualification about our love for him. If you love me, then you will keep my commandments. But the very next verse is just as important. He says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. In the same breath of mentioning love and obedience, Jesus is promising the Holy Spirit The Holy Spirit who enables us to love and to obey. And so how will we love Jesus with this kind of love? Jesus tells us he will give us another helper. These two words are incredibly important. The first word Jesus uses, another, is actually critical. By using the word another, Jesus is implying that the Holy Spirit is doing the same kind of work that he is. The great Puritan John Owen put it this way, when God planned the great work of saving sinners, he provided two gifts. He gave his son and he gave his spirit. In other words, 
the Holy Spirit is just as much of an integral part of our salvation as Christians as is Jesus Christ. Let me say that again. The Holy Spirit is just as much of an integral part of our salvation as is Jesus Christ. Now, I wonder, as you hear that this morning, do you believe it? Do you think, how is that possible? Jesus Christ, after all, is the one who died on the cross. How could the Holy Spirit be just as integral as that? This morning, I want you to begin to ask yourselves, how Trinitarian is your Christian faith? You see, every member of the Trinity is a part of our salvation. And as Christians, we uniquely believe in the triune God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so regarding your and my salvation, the Father, in his wisdom, he planned it. The Son, in his humility, he purchased it. And the Holy Spirit, in his power, enables you to believe it. How Trinitarian is your Christianity? Because when we focus on the first two persons of the Trinity, the Father and the Son, and we leave out the Spirit, not only is it a theological problem, but this morning I want you to recognize that it is actually practically spiritually dangerous. Why? Because we are in desperate need of the Holy Spirit's help. And so Jesus calls him another helper. He is a helper, a word that Jesus will use many times in the Gospel of John, and even a word that John uses himself in his letter in describing Jesus. The word is paraclete in the Greek, translated helper, comforter, champion, friend, intercessor, and perhaps my favorite, advocate. So what does the Holy Spirit help us do He is our advocate. He is our advocate against indwelling sin. He is fighting for us. He is our champion. John Owen went on and described it this way. If the Holy Spirit does not work with the gospel, then the gospel becomes a dead letter to us. It becomes as useless to Christians as the Old Testament is to the Jews. Consequently, Owen says, we must realize that all spiritual good arising from salvation, is revealed and given to us by the Holy Spirit. Without him, we can do nothing. Okay, what is Owen saying? He's saying without the Holy Spirit, the gospel can't take root in us. Without the Holy Spirit, the work of Jesus Christ on the cross is separate from us, but the work of the Holy Spirit works in our hearts in such a way that the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ actually begins to take root in us. He applies it to us. He makes it actually change us. Well, how does he do that? Jesus tells us, verse 17, if you want to look with me, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him. For he dwells with you and will be in you. Not only has God given us the Holy Spirit, but Jesus says the Holy Spirit of God. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, get this, the Holy Spirit of God dwells in you. 
God himself, the Holy Spirit, dwells. He has taken up residence in you. Do you believe that? Do you understand the power that that brings? That God himself is in you. He is in me. He is in his people. Paul puts it this way, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify your God in your body. In the old covenant, the Spirit of God dwelled in the temple. When Jesus died, the curtain was torn in two. And now, The Spirit of God no no longer dwells in a building. He dwells in his people. So much so that Paul says that you and I, believers in Jesus Christ, we are the living temple of God. In the same way that God's presence was manifested in power in the temple, God's presence is in you and in me. So much so that we are now being powerfully transformed from the inside out. Again, Paul writes, 2 Corinthians 3, And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. This comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. This brings me to the second way that the Holy Spirit helps us love Jesus Christ. First, our advocate. Second, he is our power. Look at with me, verse 18. Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. And in that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Jesus restates this qualification of our love. He says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, well, that person is the one who loves me. This truth is connected once more to the work of the Holy Spirit. How does he do this? Verse 18, Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live. You also Will live. Remember, this is in the middle of the farewell discourse. Jesus knows where all this is heading. At this point in the Gospel of John, all roads lead to the cross. And Jesus knows it. He has foretold his death, he has foretold his arrest and betrayal, and now he is foretelling his resurrection. He is promising his disciples, I will not leave you as orphans, I will not leave you alone, I will come to you. I will rise again. He's promising power and the resurrection. As Christians, the resurrection is everything to us. And even the late Christopher Hitchens, the atheist, even recognized that. He once gave an interview with a a liberal theologian who denied the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this is what Hitchens, an atheist, said. He said, I would say that if you don't believe that Jesus of Nazareth was the Christ, the Messiah, and that he rose again from the dead, 
by his sacrifice or sins are forgiven, then you are not in any meaningful sense a Christian. Paul says very clearly that if it is not true that Jesus rose from the dead, then we, the Christians of all people, are the most unhappy. And Hitchens, the atheist that he was, said, if none of that is true, if Christ did not rise from the dead, then I have no quarrel with you. See, Hitchens, tragically, even though he was an atheist, he still could recognize that as Christians, fundamental to our belief, fundamental to our faith, fundamental to our very lives, is that Christ died and he rose again. Why is his resurrection so important? I wonder this morning if any of you have ever heard of Simon of Perea, Judas of Galilee, Theudas or Vespasian. My guess is no, you haven't heard of them. But you've heard of Jesus Christ. You see, each of these men that I just read all claimed to be the Messiah and were all executed because of those claims. And yet the only one whose name has lasted since then is Jesus Christ. Why? Because there is no power in a dead Messiah. Jesus Christ rose again in power. And what is amazing about the gift of the Holy Spirit for us this morning is that the same power that rose Jesus Christ from the dead now dwells in you. Paul puts it this way. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus Christ from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. In other words, the spirit rose Jesus from the dead. And now as believers in Jesus Christ, that same Holy Spirit now dwells in you and is giving power to you. Power over sin, over addiction, power over death. The very same spirit that rose Jesus Christ now indwells you and is your power. Not only for our justification, but also for our sanctification. What do I mean by that? I think so often we struggle to live as Christians because while we believe that it takes a miracle to get us into heaven, to believe in Jesus Christ and to be saved, practically, after we believe, this side of heaven, we live in such a way that we've got to figure it out on our own. As if the Christian life after salvation is just us trying to figure it out. We are left to ourselves. This morning, I want you to know that that is not true. The same power that has saved you, that has justified you, is the same power that is now sanctifying you. What does that mean? It means he is helping you. He is conforming you into the image of, your, of the Son. He is fighting your sin within you. Every single day, this side of heaven, he is perfecting you, he is transforming you, he is bearing fruit in you. Confession of faith puts it so well this morning. God infuses new qualities into the will, making the dead will alive, the evil one good, the unwilling willing, the stubborn one compliant. God activates and strengthens the will so that like a good tree, it may be enabled to produce the fruit of good deeds. 
And so this morning, I wonder what sin has entangled you. What are your addictions? What is that sin that you have been fighting for as long as you can remember that you feel like you have no power over? As hard as you have tried to resist and withstand temptation, so often you give in. God could raise his son from the dead, do you not think that he could also conquer that sin right here, right now? The same power that rose his son from the dead is now at work against your indwelling sin. Which is why it is such a miracle the Holy Spirit is dwelling within us, fighting this battle from the inside out. Not only is he our power, but the Holy Spirit, third, is our teacher. Look with me, verse 22. Judas and John makes a point to say this is not a scare. He's already foretold the betrayal of Judas Iscariot. But now Judas, not Iscariot, says to Jesus, well, how will you manifest yourself to us and not the world? Jesus answers him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my father will love him and he will come to him and make our home with him. Do you notice that? Make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I've spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. The third qualifier, the third condition of our love for Jesus is this. Jesus says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And if that's not enough, he then puts it in the negative. If anyone does not love me, he does not keep my words. And so what I want you to see is more than just obeying the commands of Jesus, Jesus says if you love him, you will keep his every word. Now that might seem like a tall order, and it is, but what I want you to see is how gracious this is. Not only are we called as Christians to keep his commandments, but we're to keep his teaching. We're to keep his promises. To hide in our hearts the very Word of God, the very Word of Jesus Christ. How could we possibly do that? How could we keep every word as Christians? With the help of the Holy Spirit. The third way that the Holy Spirit helps us, He's our teacher. Look with me, verse 26. Jesus says, The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things, (laughs) everything. He'll teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. Now, in today's postmodern world, fundamental to keeping the word of God is first that we would actually believe the word of God and that it is true. And so this morning, I'm asking you, do you believe in the word of God? Do you believe that every word of it is true? Because in our world today, so much of the battles that we fight actually at their core have to do about really one thing. What is truth? Do we believe that this here is truth or not? Every single word. So often I think we struggle with this as people because we fail to ask the right questions. We struggle with the meaning, the message of what This book, the Bible, is actually about. 
We ask questions like, well, what does this actually have to do with me? You know, and so, so often I meet with people and they say, well, as I struggle with my job or I struggle with who I'm supposed to marry or where I'm supposed to move and I'm looking for Nebraska in the concordance and it's not in here. And I don't know what to do. What does this have to do with me? And the answer is as simple as it is profound. I say with all gentleness, the Bible is not really about you. At least not directly. The Bible from Genesis to Revelation is about Jesus Christ. The story of redemption through God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit Every single word is true. And so as people question whether the Bible is true or not, I want you to understand this important thing. It is not really an intellectual problem. It might seem like it is. But deep down, it's a spiritual problem. See, ours is not the first time in history that the word of God has been questioned. Genesis 3 The serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field that the Lord God has made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say? And ever since then, humanity has questioned the truth of the word of God. Fundamentally, it is a deep spiritual issue. Fundamentally, it is sin. Paul puts it this way, 1 Corinthians 2, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. He is not even able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So when I tell you that at Park City's Presbyterian Church, we believe in every word, the infallible divine authority of the Bible, which is our only rule of faith and practice, that we believe it is entirely trustworthy that it is our authority in every single thing that it teaches. And you say, well, how can you believe that? I would tell you the Bible is trustworthy because it is the word of God. To say it another way, the Bible is trustworthy because God wrote it. 2 Timothy 3, all scripture is breathed out by God, is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. God gave his word through the power of the Holy Spirit, and now God has given us the Holy Spirit to illuminate his word, to reveal it to us that we might believe it. This is why we must recognize that to read the Bible, we can't treat it like any other book. It is not really a rule book or a textbook or an informational book. It is the word of God, and we need to learn to read it spiritually by the power of the Holy Spirit, who is our teacher. The great skeptic David Hume, trying to debunk Christianity and to debunk miracles, said, It would take a miracle for any reasonable person to believe in the Christian religion. For this requires more than reason. It requires faith. But anyone who is moved by faith into such belief must be aware of a continuing miracle within him. Now, what's Hume saying? He's saying, it would take a miracle for anybody to actually believe in Christianity. And you know what? To that I say, Hume is absolutely right. It does take a miracle. The miracle of the Holy Spirit 
regenerating and illuminating your darkened mind that you might believe the things of God, his word, his very word to us. So lastly, as we end this morning, the fourth way that the Holy Spirit is our help, he is our peace. Verse 27, Jesus says, peace I leave to you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You have heard me say to you, I'm going away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. The last qualifier of our love for Jesus that he gives to us is that if we loved him, we would have rejoiced. Now, of course, Jesus knows at this point what is next. It's the cross. He will be arrested, he will be tortured, he will be executed. His followers will reject him, they will be martyred, John will be exiled, and his church will be persecuted. And in face of all of that, Jesus says, if you love me, you will rejoice. In the face of the chaos of this life, of this world that we live in, in the chaos of the cross itself, As Christians, if we love Jesus Christ, Jesus says, we would rejoice. How can we do that? How can we have peace in the face of chaos? Jesus says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. The peace of Christ given to us and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is our peace in the midst of chaos. Now, this is not a peace that is a feeling. This is not a heightened emotional state. This isn't some sort of nirvana. This is true, real peace. The peace of Jesus Christ. And you don't have to be a Christian in our world today to recognize that there is chaos all around us. Chaos in the form of wars abroad. Terrorism right here at home. Chaos in the form of cancer and sickness. Chaos in a broken marriage. A troubled child. A parent struggling with illness. Chaos in our work and our economy. Chaos in our own addictions, our own depravity, our own struggle with sin. Chaos in our shame. There is chaos in our fear. And what are we to do with that kind of chaos? Well, we search for peace, don't we? We search for peace in our pride and fame and money and success. We search for peace and diversion, pleasure. We try to numb the chaos with drugs or alcohol. We try to find peace in relationships or desire to be loved and adored. We, we try to find peace in man-made religion, control, serenity, the inner peace that you hear described in Buddhism. You see, the problem with each one of these quests for peace is it tries to address peace by avoiding it, avoiding chaos altogether. The way to peace is to pretend that the chaos isn't there. There has only been one who has addressed our chaos by facing it head on, and his name is Jesus Christ. He went to the chaos of the cross And there he conquered chaos, he conquered sin, he conquered death. And we have real, lasting 
peace. The Spirit is now giving that peace to us. The very peace of Jesus Christ. The Spirit who was there in the beginning. When, this, when he was hovering over the chaos of the deep and God spoke light into the darkness. The Spirit who was there in the garden when peace was broken. The Spirit who was there in the Exodus leading God's people through the wilderness to the peace of the promised land. The Spirit who was there at Golgotha when Christ uttered his words, it is finished. The Spirit who was there at the tomb when the stone was rolled away and Christ rose again. And I want you to know, this morning, the Holy Spirit is here now. He is with his people. He is with his church. He is here at work as we extend the kingdom of Jesus Christ until he returns again. As we extend this kingdom to every neighborhood, every street corner, every nation, the Holy Spirit is at work ushering in the peace of Jesus Christ. So I don't know what you are facing this morning. I don't know what sin that entangles you I don't know what has you afraid or what trial you are facing. What I do know is this. God has indwelled you, Christian, with the Holy Spirit. And he is your peace. And as Paul said in Romans 8, we did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but we have received the spirit of adoption. And as sons and daughters, we cry, Abba, Father. Christ is calling to you. This morning he is saying, peace I give to you. Peace I leave with you. Not as the world gives, I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled. Don't be afraid. And so if you love Jesus Christ this morning, we have reason to rejoice, to worship to lift high his name, to recognize that Christ has given us the gift of the Holy Spirit. He is our saving advocate who indwells us. He is our resurrection power who enables us to fight sin. He is our great teacher who helps us to believe and have faith in his word. He is our triumphant peace in a chaotic world. He is our helper who helps us right here right now by filling us with a love so deep and so profound that we are being transformed from the very inside out. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.